Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Blue Thoughts. This is Albert along with Ed, Jeremy, and Dave. We're excited. We have a special treat today. We have a special guest, and um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, let's start off with the best thing we've seen this week, and uh, best thing I saw this week. I don't mean to take away Ed's thunder here, but uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> the best thing was my sister in law had her baby, uh, baby Caleb, and uh, it, was, it was awesome to get to see him yesterday. We, we saw him for the first time, and it was just a blessing to, to, to hold the baby so peaceful. So, you know, it's just amazing to see God's creation. So, that was, that was pretty special. Awesome. When was he born? On the 23rd, on Michael Jordan Day. Why? That was his birthday? No, that, that's the number, Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the third. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, what are the measures? What are the numbers? You weighed what? Six Eight. pounds and some change, or eight point two? No, sorry. Eight point two pounds. Way off. Twenty inches in length. Nice. So what? Are we, so what? What are we looking at here? Baseball player. You know what? Basketball. Yeah, baseball. I'm going with baseball. Boxing. Baseball. Baseball. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. No Mike Trout. Watch your back. Watch out. Okay. Nice. Shout out to, shout out to baby Caleb. Yeah. So since my my, my thunder was stolen, <laughs> I have to, I have to go with uh, my twin sister. Mm. Uh, she she only pushed for thirty minutes. She's nice. she's my hero. For, shout out to Edita. For she's gonna be my hero for quite some time. Yeah. And. Um, and shout out to Pablo too. Yeah, shout out to Pablo. So yeah. That's the real hero in this story, huh? <laughs> yeah. Caleb just, oh, yeah. just, he's just being lazy. Just yeah. Do something, lazy. Caleb. Get <laughs> your life together. Get your life together, Caleb. Please. Twenty twenty. Um, best thing I saw this week. Um, so it's just sports in general with all the great stuff that's going on. But the best thing uh, yesterday, El Clasico, Real Madrid. Um, Barcelona, Real Madrid's coming off a terrible week, losing two games against two teams they should have beat. Everyone was bearing them, everybody was counting them out. Ciudad needs to lose his job, countless other things, and this group went into Barcelona, went into the arch rival's home, and just took their soul. 3-1, Messi was there, but Messi did very little. Uh, Messi hasn't scored in El Clasico since 2018, which I love. And for all the Messi people, uh, Ronaldo, who hasn't played in the Clasico in almost two years, has the same amount of goals in the Clasico. So that was the best thing I saw this week. My team went into Barcelona, the biggest rivalry in sports. And I mean sports like in, in total. And we won that. So that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. Cool. Uh, for me, it would be, uh, yeah, I found out my wife is eight weeks pregnant. So Ooh, Congrats, brother. Yeah, so, I mean, if, it's good because... Watch your back, Caleb. <laughs> uh, it's good because we, at first had a, first few weeks, we had a few complications where uh, they said they found a bag, but no baby. So we were kind of worried, but I'm glad and uh, yeah, I'm thankful to God for um, letting us find out that we are expecting and yeah I'm excited nice awesome that means Iglesia Primitiva's church's ministry is going to grow by one 
Uh, yeah. Shout out yeah. to America. In America, I'm not shouting out the country. I'm shouting out his <laughs> wife. Oh, okay. His name's America. That's a cool yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mm-hmm. brother calls her Trump just to joke around with her. So, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm excited. All right. Um. So special thanks to Alto Cold Brew. Uh, they sent us uh, <clears throat> some coffee filters that can be used for hot or cold and. Um, all awesome. sorts of sizes. Yeah, yeah. Large, medium. Ridiculously large. Yeah, you can, you can throw, hold a concert together, give them all coffee. You can have, you can make coffee in a bucket. Yeah, and I'm not exaggerating. You yeah. can literally a bucket. In a, in a five gallon. Yeah. If you go to Home Depot, you the see Home those Depot orange buckets. ones. Yeah. But I think they do have their their own buckets, from what I saw. Do they? So. Yeah. Send us a bucket. Alto, <laughs> do the right thing. Send us a bucket. Come on. You can uh, check out their Instagram at Alto Cold Group. You can see what they offer as well: the buckets, the different size bags, and you know that coffee was good. It was smooth, no residue. No, no residue. residue. It was smoky. Yeah, it was good. awesome. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was great. The filter definitely helped. It mm-hmm. definitely did a lot for the coffee. So, yeah, it was good. Very. very Good and you can you can see our reaction and you can see our process on our Instagram, which is brewthoughts dot podcast, and you can see that. And then Albert's launching our YouTube our YouTube page, so we're going global, and you're gonna be able to see all of our past coffee making videos and all the ones that we're gonna make in the future. All right. So, shout out to Alto Cold Brew. Yeah, thank you, Alto Cold Brew. Hey, guys. Um, so, next, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about a, a topic that we felt it was important to talk about. Um, we all agree that it's a topic that requires, you know, awareness. You know, this is stuff that people feel. So, the topic is uh, depression. And, um, you know, a lot of us, you know, possibly have gone through this, you know, someone that's gone through it. And we felt that we wanted to bring someone to talk to us uh, about this and more, go more in depth. And again, bring awareness so that if you know someone that's going through this, we can, you know, help them out. Um, so we have a special guest, her name's Delilah uh, Pera, and she's a psychiatrist, psychiatr- psychotherapist practicing in Newport Beach. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology. She's also an adjunct professor of psychology at Vanguard University in Southern California. So thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So um, what's what's been your experience with with, with this topic of depression uh, in your field? Yeah, well, again, thank you so much for having me. I think this conversation is so needed and not often had. So I appreciate um, you bringing awareness to the topic. Um, In regards to my experience with depression, I have worked in private practices for about 10 years now. I also worked at a psychiatric hospital uh, working with individuals with severe major depressive disorder. Um, And I've also experienced depression myself. So I have a good understanding of it. Um, One thing that I often see 
is that a lot of people don't understand what depression is. And so depression can actually range from severe clinical depression where you're having suicidal attempts, suicidal ideation, to seasonal depression where something happens in your life that you begin to start experiencing symptoms of depression. And so for me as a psychotherapist, I don't necessarily focus too much on the diagnosis. I focus on what are the symptoms. So when a client comes in and he starts listing the symptoms of depression, that's what I begin to address before even going into a diagnosis because depression does range. Symptoms do range. There's a variety of symptoms. There's a variety of uh, a range of depression. Again, it could be major depressive disorder, severe clinical depression, or it could just be seasonal depression. Okay. And if you had to define depression, you know, what would you define it as? Like, like what would be the correct definition for it? Yeah, so we can start with the symptoms. So some of the symptoms of depression include persistent feelings of sadness, anxiety, insomnia, um, not being able to sleep, so insomnia, sleeping too much, overeating, not eating enough, loss of appetite, um, headaches, chronic pain, feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, um, feelings of unworthiness, lack of worth, um, headaches. I mean, it ranges. Uh, so that those are some of the symptoms of depression and the causes of it. The reality is, you know, research doesn't necessarily show that there is one cause of depression. So causes of depression could be anything from genetics, so biological components. Um, it could be something within your genetics, within your biology that can cause or trigger depression. It's also, it can also be caused through your environment. So what is going on around you, uh, the environment you grew up in, the, do you have you know, a roof over your head? Do you have food to eat? Those, those environmental stressors can really play into depression. And it can also be psychological. So uh, say that you went through a very difficult divorce or a breakup, or you lost your job. Um, all of those things can also cause depression. So I hope that answers your question. It does. As to yeah. What it looks like, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 um, you know, we meet, you know, before we usually meet like on a Thursday before we do this recording. And one of the things that come we talked about it, you know, our experiences with it. And I was more on my, I, I thought it was more like, um, like a flu, you know, you get sick, you get the, and it goes away. Uh, and they had, and they, they're, they had a different opinion on it. They, they, it's more like a condition that never really goes away and it just needs to be treated. So uh, I guess, how, how, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, so the good news with depression is even in the most severe cases, it is highly, highly treatable. Um, 
the treatments consist of psychotherapy, so talk therapy, going to see a therapist. Um, sometimes that alone will help you overcome depression. Other times, depending on what the root of it is, you may need medication along with psychotherapy. So it might be a combination of both. But either way, it's highly, highly treatable. Um, I think to answer your question, just like anything else, early detection and early intervention is your best bet. That is what you want to go. That is what you want to go to. So a lot of times I, um, you know, talk to clients about depression and part of the fear of actually coming in is acknowledging that they have depression because you're right. A lot of people feel like depression is this uh, condition that you have and will never go away. And that's actually incorrect. It is very, very treatable. I often use the analogy of um, say that you injured your ankle mm -hmm. and you can do a couple of things, right? So number one, you can take painkillers and that for a moment will diminish the pain of the injury, the ankle injury, right? However, you may need more than just painkillers. You may need corrective surgery. You may need physical therapy. You may need x-rays. I mean, you name it, right? And so when it comes to depression, the important part is not only to learn how to cope with your depression, how to overcome those feelings of sadness, but also understand what the root of it is. Because once you understand where it's coming from, then you're able to correct it and say, okay, this is where it's coming from. This is how it's evolved. This is how I can overcome it. So it sounds like there's different levels of it. So you're saying that it can go, it can be very, it, it can start very minimal and it can become, it can grow more and more. Yes, there's a variety of levels of depression. So, um, I mean, we're seeing it a lot right now with quarantine and um, the whole coronavirus and how our environment has changed, how our day-to-day -day routines have changed. So it can, it can bring, you know, being in what I call collectivistic trauma, right? Because we've all somehow been traumatized by this whole situation. Our everyday lives have been affected collectivistically as a society. And so that in itself, it can bring a lot of feelings of uneasiness, anxiety, um, and, you know, overall depression and sadness. So there are different levels of depression. As I mentioned before, it could happen if, you know, after you lost your job or after you lost your home or, you know, because of a breakup, it could happen um, by losing a loved one. So any, anything can trigger depression. But just because it's depression, it doesn't mean that you are automatically going to go into suicidal ideation and thoughts and, uh, you know, suicidal attempts and different things like that. Mm -hmm. um, there are different levels of it. 
However, if not treated properly, it could end up into a suicide attempt, into suicidal ideation. And those heavier thoughts. Um, one of the things that we were curious about too is what's the difference between sadness and depression? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, yeah. So difference between sadness and depression. We all feel sad, right? We've all felt sadness before. I think when it's important for us to get curious about our sadness is when it's affecting our functioning. So by that, I mean, is it affecting your relationships? Is it affecting your job? Is it affecting your ability to get up in the morning, to shower, to go to the gym, to do things that you love to do. Um, when it begins to affect your day-to-day -day functioning, that is when we need to begin to get curious about these sad feelings. Um, and that's when it becomes more than just sadness. Okay. Yeah, so the way that our conversation started on Thursday, we were kind of discussing the our topic, what, what, what were we gonna talk about? And we, we were just throwing, you know, we, we were coming up with different ideas. And I told I told the guys, uh, we should talk about depression. I've been depressed for like three months. And Alvaro was like, man, I haven't even noticed. What do you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. And so that kind of launched the conversation not necessarily for the pod, but it just launched the conversation just among us mm -hmm. as friends. Mm -hmm. Get into like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Uh, and so what is the, how, how prominent or how popular, or maybe not popular, but how, how often is that the, the people are like, man, I didn't even know you were depressed. Or somebody commits suicide, like, man, I didn't even, they look fine. I saw them, yes, I drank coffee with them yesterday. They, yes. they were laughing with me. Yes. And, like, what is the, I don't know, I don't even know what the question is, but what would be the, how often do you see that? And how can we as friends, uh, not just, check up on each other because I think it's deeper than the, hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. Can we be better friends or better husbands, wives, whatever? How can we better we be better in our relationships? Yeah, uh, German, I think you nailed it. I think you are bringing up something that is so, so important. And I even made a note to talk to you guys about it because depression, looks very different in everyone. And some people are really, really good at disguising it. Um, you can run into an individual who you're hanging out with, you're having coffee with them, they're laughing, they're smiling, they're talking about the game, they're talking about all these things, and they could be very depressed. And so I think um, as a society, we have this idea that depression is someone who stays in their room, who isolates, who doesn't get out of bed, who doesn't shower, who doesn't 
um, socialize with anyone, super introverted. That is one side of depression, but depression is so multifaceted. There are so many sides of depression. And I mean, we see, unfortunately, a lot of examples of people in the media, actors, comedians, um, committing suicide and their friends and family coming out and saying, I had no clue. I had no idea. I didn't know that this was happening because we have been so good at hiding our emotions. Mm. Um, somewhere, on the, somewhere along the line, whether it was our culture, whether it was our upbringing, whether it was our religious beliefs, society, you name it we were told that there are certain emotions that you just don't feel and there are others that are acceptable right and so anger not acceptable i mean in some cultures it is the more the angrier you are the stronger you are right so again it depends on your environment um sadness crying oh if you're cry you're weak right that's this this idea that tears mean weakness and so I say all of that because it is very common to answer your question. It's very common to run into individuals who say, hey, my friend, so-and-so is depressed, told me that they were depressed, and I didn't even realize it. I didn't even expect it. I think for us, you know, we can't save the world. We can't save everyone. But one thing that we can do, aside from just saying, hey, how are you checking in on each other? It's just working on ourselves, right? Mm. Vulnerability begots vulnerability. So if I'm vulnerable with you, you are more likely to be vulnerable with me. If I share with you, you know, hey, like I've been struggling with depression. Who knows? You may be talking to someone else who's also struggling with depression and doesn't know it. Right. So in a sense, being able to live authentically, owning all of our emotions, feeling all of our emotions, normalizing that there's nothing wrong with feeling that in itself is a step towards normalizing depression, normalizing those feelings, because if we do our part to say, hey, this is normal, this happens, this happens to the best of us the other person might be more likely to go and ask for help, right? Um, I was reading an article last night um, published back in March. Uh, So far, we have 300 million people worldwide struggling with depression. 15 million of those are in America. So can you imagine how many people at the grocery store, at your job, how many coworkers, how many family members, how many... um, you know, church members that you've encountered have had depression or symptoms of depression in the past, but they just don't know it or they don't know how to talk about it or they don't know what it looks like. And so when we don't know what it looks like, we don't know what to name it. And when we can't name it, we can't treat it. So someone like me, you know, we've been prior to this, you know, German and I were not as close. Now we're getting a lot closer now that we're doing the podcast and, uh, um, what would you say? I mean, I never, I was never able to spot it. How, how can you, what are some of the, the things to look out for to, to be able to help someone that could be going through it, but they're disguising it? 
Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a couple of things. So number one, you do have your basic symptoms, right? So isolation. If you notice that the person is isolating, maybe um, isn't going out as much anymore, isn't responding to text messages, isn't um, reaching out to you anymore, that's that could be a sign to reach out and say, hey, checking in on you. How, how are you doing? You know, can we, would you like to hang out? Would you like to talk? Things like that. Um, paying attention to big stressors in their life, right? Did they lose their job? Did they have to now become full-time homeschool teachers? Did they have to, you know, move in with relatives because, you know, the, the pandemic, people lost their jobs? Did they have to change industries? Did they just have a baby? Did they, I mean, any type of life stressor can really trigger depression and so I think again the more open and honest we are and the more we normalize the hey this sucks or hey I really feel you know I've been feeling this way and it's and it's horrible the more likely other people are going to be able to open up to us and um, I I was reading and I, I hear that a lot of people that are going through it don't like to be told, hey, it's gonna be okay, uh, you got this. Um, what would be the best approach? Like if I were to go like it up to German and tell them, if I notice these signs and I wanna try to help out, what would be the, the, the best way to approach someone with, with this stuff, respectfully? Yeah, so again, great point that you bring up. Um, how do we respond? to someone who says that they're going to be depressed. A lot of the times we are inclined to make it feel better, right? We wanna make it better for them. We want them to feel that they're reassured, that it's gonna be okay, that you're gonna get over it, that you're gonna get through it. They're all great and wonderful intentions. However, indirectly, we can sometimes stamp out their emotions and belittle them and dismiss them. Right. So if someone is coming up to you and saying, hey, I'm feeling really, really sad, really depressed, really X, Y and Z. Sometimes for us to say, oh, well, it's going to be fine or, oh, well, let's figure out how to fix it. It doesn't lend itself to sitting in that moment with that person and acknowledging their pain and their wound. Right. And so the be- one of the best ways that you can respond is just be honest. Gosh, I am so sorry that you're going through this. Done, period, silence, right? Let that sit in. I am so sorry you're going through this because what are you doing in that response? You are acknowledging that this really sucks and that their pain is real and it's not something that they're, that's in their head, that they're making up, that is attention-seeking, that, I mean, you fill in the blank. So just being able to say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Um, tell me, how can I help you, right? And they may not know how they need help, what help they need, and that's okay. And if they don't know what help they need, then 
just validize, validate, validate, validating that and normalizing that and saying, you don't have to have all the answers. That's okay. But I got you and we're in this together and we'll figure it out together. You're not alone. I think that you hit a point that I thought was very interesting that that the the feeling that this person is feeling are very real. Like I, you know, like in the past, um, you look at someone, you're like, how can you be feeling this way? They're, you're amazing. You're an amazing person. Yet this person may not, may not feel that way. Right. So I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is the feelings are real. Like this pain that they feel it's from the outside. You may not see it that way, but the person it, it's legit, real sadness, real pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to mental health, um, there's a lot of pain involved in mental health, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is that it's not something that's tangible. It's in your head, right? So say for example, a physical wound, if I cut myself and I'm bleeding out, you can see it and you can acknowledge it and you can say, Delilah, are you okay? Like you're bleeding. Let's take you to the doctor. Let's take care of you. Let's help you mend that wound. In mental health, we also have wounds. The problem is that not everyone can see them. And so when people can't see them, they can't acknowledge them. When they can't acknowledge them, they don't necessarily know how to treat them or even how to respond to some of those wounds. Yeah, we, so um, in the conversation we were having, uh, uh, Albert on Thursday asked, uh, like, how, how do you get through it? How do you fight through it? Like when you're in it. And, and so I was telling him, I've learned over the years as I've gone through these, these times of, of depression uh, or feeling depressed to make the difference between what's real, what feels real, but what is true. Mm-hmm. And so being like, a, being a Christian has helped with a lot of that because uh, I'm able to isolate the feelings of like, you know, unloved or unworthy or loneliness and all these things that feel very real but I also know okay well that isn't true Mm -hmm. it may feel very real and some days it may beat me in it and I may be in my own cell but ultimately those things are not true Mm -hmm. one of the ways that I've learned to combat the 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 darker days of mm-hmm. depression when it, it just gets super heavy mentally and super foggy and it's super dark and I, I you kind of don't know where you're going mentally you, you're kind of you know you, you're trapped in many ways and, and making the difference between the what's true and what's real has helped a lot and so as both of you are having that interaction, it, it, rem- it reminds me of that conversation we had 
on Thursday of the different, well, at least for me, what helps me is, is making the difference between what is true and what is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I mentioned, there are a lot of causes of depression, right? Again, it could be environmental, it could be psychological, um, a lot. And that is why a lot of times, or that is why we treat depression with psychotherapy, because you're right. We, I have to teach my clients how to decipher and differentiate what is real and what is not real, what is truth and what are irrational thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, that's one of the approach, approaches that I have in my practice. I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is rethinking, restructuring our thoughts to having thoughts that are healthy for us that are good for us and that are not harming to us. Um, I also have, I also use a lot of an attachment background. So figuring out based on how you were raised and what you were told by caregivers, by parents, by older siblings, by teachers, by anyone of authority, right? What were some of the lies about ourselves that we believed? What were some of the irrational thoughts about ourselves that we believe? Mm -hmm. And so that is what you do in therapy. You go in and you figure out what are my thoughts, which are good, which are bad. But more than that, you have a professional sitting next to you who's going to help you figure out where did they come from? Where did they stem from? Because Mm -hmm. if you can nip them at the root, you can then figure out, oh, okay, I know where you're coming from. I know why I feel so insignificant right now. I know why my inner critic is so um, hard on me, right? It comes from this place. It stems from this place. And so that's why I'm an advocate of therapy, of going to therapy, of figuring out, okay, you have all these feelings, you have all these emotions, they are real, but where are they coming from? That, that leads me to, to some, some of the stuff that I felt in the past has, has been, I dealt with like, with meaning, significance, like what, like how, I don't know how to put it in, in a tangible way, but like, um, like what's the point of getting an award doesn't mean anything, it's just paper. Um, or what's the, I don't know if that makes any sense on what I'm trying to say, um, of, of putting value to things. I, like I've struggled with that in the past. Um, I don't know how to explain it um, or if I'm making any sense to you. So I wonder if, we, do you mean that no matter how many awards you got, no matter how much recognition you got, it still didn't feel like enough to make yourself feel good? Um, I guess you can say that. Also like, oh, I don't know, I, I'm having trouble putting it together. That's um, no, okay. Um, I would say um, that, I'll use the example like, okay. 
Yeah, I guess I guess maybe that's the way to put it, like recognition, um, or when you do something uh, for someone, you know, does it have any meaning behind it? Um, like one of the things that I always use and I, and I've tried to help to help me with this is like, I realized like, like Jesus, for example, he had like a lot of symbolism for things, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, they broke bread together. They had the last supper and he, you know, he gave symbolism to a lot of these things. So I guess to me that tells me that there's rituals that are important and that meaning is important, but I guess I struggled with meaning in the past. I, I don't know if that, I still not clear. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, could you give me an example of a time where you were like, well, that doesn't really matter? Um, I guess let, let's just say maybe the difference between uh, A or a B, or, you know, A doesn't really matter. You know, if I get an A on this paper or a B, I, whatever it is, you know, as long as I pass the class. And that's probably a very weak example because I can't think of anything on the spot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, let me think through that one. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not having trouble talking about it. <laughs> Just I'm trying mm-hmm. to put it together. Maybe I can maybe think about it and maybe the next time we get together, I can maybe give you a better idea of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, when it comes to I think for all of us it's important to know that we're doing a good job in some way, shape or form. It's important for us to know that. Um, And so sometimes we get reassurance or validation through awards, through someone saying, hey, you did a good job, through, you know, so on and so forth. And so I, I think one of the, the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, is that enough for, for me? And if it is, why? And if it isn't, why? And then, you know, we could dig into that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, my experience started very young. And so ever since I can remember, I don't remember ever not feeling depressed. And so there is seasons, months where it's okay, where it's not as heavy where it's like, hey, I feel pretty good. It's fine. And then it, it, it hits like a truck one day and it's like, oh, okay. So this is still here. And so ever since I can remember, that's been a, that's been a thing. It's been a, it, it happens in, in every, and it's never, it's never been, I've never known how to express it until I got older and learned more about what it was to be depressed because when growing up in a Mexican home, 
you don't use the word depressed. <laughs> you just, you're just quiet. So he's just quiet. He's just he's just to himself, or he's just weird. He just doesn't talk to anybody. He's in his own world. Yeah. And so, and so to even mention any sense of that from uh, to like my mom, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you sad about? What are you talking about? I go to work. Well, what do you got to be sad about? Tell me, tell me, talk to me about your sadness in a very sarcastic way, obviously. And so just like, I guess some people are just darker than others. I guess some people just feel heavier than other people. And so that's kind of how I grew up just ever since I was a little kid in elementary school. And as I grew older, it got stronger and it got heavier and it got more uh, severe, I, 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 should, I would say. When I was in high school, it's when I started, first started to get suicidal thoughts and first started to get these ideas of, of just harming myself. And, and it's, it started with, I would walk to school, I would walk to my high school and I was like, man, I, I could just jump in front of a car right now. Mm. And it was just very, and it was very subtle. It wasn't this like, I hate life, I want to end it. It was just very, like I was walking and I saw a car pass and, and he was, the, the driver was driving really fast. And the thought that came to my mind was what, how much harm would I cause myself? if I jumped in front of that car and then what would happen? Who would show up? Who would, who would say something? How long would it take for whatever? And then would it even matter? Like would, would, would my, my mom would be sad, but like, would my sister be sad? How sad would she be? Would my cousins be sad? Would my, and it kind of went and, and so, from there, it was like this sick little game that I would play with myself as I would, as I would do that. And then I started working and I went to, I used to work in a jewelry company. We, I used to work in downtown LA. So I would take the, the and there's, I don't know if you're familiar with the metro, with the rail system, but I would take the blue line. So I'll take the blue line to downtown. And it was always the, the like, man, like I, a train would definitely, do stuff and just like looking at stuff and, and, and that whole thing. And it would just get darker and darker and it would be really good days and really good weeks and really good months sometimes. And then it would just come back down and, and it was just, you know, it's just this vicious cycle. And over three, three years ago, we, we planted a church and we started this church plant 2018. So yeah, we're in our third year. And so it was this exciting time because we're starting something new. It's we're on a team and, and we're, we're kind of doing this, these things that we feel called for and called to, and it's bigger than, than yourself. So you're part of this bigger community and you're serving at this level. And I remember the first six months or so were probably the darkest times of my life. That it even scared me because it became a point where 
whenever I would go through these months of feeling super low, I got so used to it that I was like, ah, I can kind of get through it. It'll be fine. There'll be some really, really dark days, but I'll kind of get over it. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And so during that time in 2018, I went through some really, really, really dark times. And the thoughts and, and the suicidal thoughts were even heavier. And I, for I think a good four months or so, uh, would go to work, would get home. And if I didn't have anything at church, I would just cry myself to sleep. So from like six o'clock to whenever I want to sleep, it was just pain. It was just hurt. It was just these things. I, I kind of, I would stay away from the kitchen because be I, one time I was playing around with like knives and kind of like, so I was staying away from all that stuff. I was like, what am I doing? I'm a pastor. Like, I can't like be like, we just started church and like kill myself. Like what's going on? I, I, I got to teach these people on Sunday. I kind of hold this image in a way. I got to be strong for these people, but I'm drowning here. And I showed up to church one day, it was a Sunday, and usually I was able to at least mask it on Sundays and Wednesdays on in a midweek service. Now I was able to mask it enough where I'm at church, I can get through this Sunday morning service, and I'll go home and, and, and it's fine. It's fine, because all the other interactions would be over the phone, and so it's fine. Um, and that day I, I couldn't, it was, it was, I was super, I've never felt like that before. And I felt like I was going to die. And I was in front of the leadership team and we, we prayed before the service and I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even get the words out. And I was just so um, lost that it, it was this, this moment that scared me. And it was the first time, it was the first time ever that I actually asked for help. And it was for the first time where I went home, my sister and her, now her husband, they were there and they were gonna go out and like, hey, can you guys stay with me a little bit? Just stay with me, because it was just this moment where that had never happened to me. So that really freaked me out because I had never experienced anything that heavy before. And so they stayed with me, it kind of it went away it was fine or as fine as can be. And, and so, it, and it was just this cycle and it never got that dark again, but it kind of took a little, two more months and then it kind of went away. And then from there it comes and goes, but that's been my experience with this whole thing. And, and the way I would ask for help, and I, I do quotations cause I wasn't asking for help. I would send a text and I would say, hey, what are you doing? You wanna hang out? And it was just my way of like, I need help. I need somebody to come. I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to like shake me out. And it was like, hey, what, what are you doing? Are you doing? And, if, and it just so happens that in those moments, everyone's always busy. And it's just, so it's just the way it works, apparently. <laughs> People were just always busy. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, that kind of reinforces all these negative thoughts of like, you see, everyone's busy. 
people don't got time for you. And, th- and then and it was just these, the, the, these moments of a very just terrible things, terrible thoughts. And so that's been my experience with, with depression and, and, and all of that. Uh, and that, that this conversation. Thank you so much for just being so open, honest, vulnerable, um, and just authentic. There are so many things that I would love to touch on here that I think are so important and I hope we have enough time, but you are not alone. You are not the only person that has felt this way. This is a common experience that I hear from my clients over and over and over again. Um, Again, I think it has a lot to do with our environment. It has a lot to do with our culture. It has a lot to do with our society. Um, It is different for men. I mean, I can't speak from personal experience, but it is different for men. This idea that you are weak if you feel sad, that you can't cry, that you shouldn't listen to your emotions. Um, And then there's another level to it as well. And um, being part of a church, especially being part of church leadership, um, I don't think, I think it's a really lonely place. I think a lot of people don't realize the pressure um, that our leaders within the faith community are under. Um, It is very lonely because there's this expectation that because you are a pastor, that because you are a worship leader, that because you are usher X, Y, and Z, then you shouldn't be feeling this way, right? And I've had, I mean, I've had countless conversations with um, worship leaders, pastors, co-pastors, youth pastors who have had these similar feelings and the number one comment I get is I can't share it with anyone because what are they going to say? Oh, look at him. He's a worship pastor and he's feeling that way. Or, oh, he's a worship leader and he's feeling that way. Or he's, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, And so this, this distorted idea that because you are in a certain position, then you should not feel that way. Or because you have a healthy family and kids that are healthy and you have income and you have work and you have a house, look at all the things you should be thankful for. You shouldn't be feeling this way. And that actually is incorrect. That's, that's completely distorted. Uh, if I know anything about mental illness, it's this. It does not discriminate race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, it hits us all the same way. And so I think you're right. I think it's really difficult to ask for help. Um, It is. And so, you know, as I was hearing you talk, I, I was thinking about what Albert said. What are some things that I can say to someone when they come up to me and they say, hey, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling depressed. Um, I 
can't believe I didn't think of it in the moment, but one of the first things he can say after, I'm so sorry you're going through this is let's get you help. Let's find a therapist together. Mm. Let's find um, a mental health professional that can help you, right? Because in your journey, each of you with your struggles of depression, has anyone, has that been the response that you've gotten? Hey, let's, let's find you a therapist. Let's find you a mental health professional to help you. No. No. And so, however, if you broke your arm, yeah. <laughs> they say, right. let's go get you to a doctor right now. If you're, yeah. I don't know if any of you have kids. I don't know if any of you have siblings, mom, dad, whatever. If your mom or dad broke their arm, if your kid broke their, broke their leg, what would be your first response? Let's go get them help. Let's go get them to go see a doctor. Let's get some x-rays. Let's figure out what this is. Because if we don't treat it, we don't treat that, treat that injury, it's going to get worse. And so, again, I think I keep saying as a society, but as a society, we don't know how to acknowledge emotional pain right we were never taught how to acknowledge emotional pain we were never taught how to um have these really hard conversations Uh, we we weren't taught how to respond to someone who's feeling anxious who's feeling depressed who's feeling stuck um and so because we don't know how to respond to it our first initial response is okay let's fix it and let's make them feel better and say, oh, it's okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to get through this. Or um, with the best intentions, you know, in our hearts, we say, well, why do you, what do you have to be depressed for? You, you're healthy. You, you're alive. You have breath in your lungs. You have healthy kids. You have a house. You have an income. There are other people that have less than you. And when we do that, we actually... Um, have a difficult time extending empathy towards ourselves. And in turn, we have a difficult time extending empathy towards others, if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and go. <laughs> In my experience, I, I think, well, e- even the reason that I'm the last one to share it, I think that shows everything. I'm, uh, for me, the struggle isn't so much, I guess I, I overthink things. And on top of that, I don't want to burden people with, with what I'm feeling. Uh, I, it's not that I don't think it's valid. I just don't, don't don't want to have people I, I I just think a bunch of things of they're, they're gonna say oh I have something better to do or whatever maybe stuff stuff like well yeah if I can think back stuff has happened to me in, in that manner like with parents or siblings like if I try to share something or with fam or with uh, friends and they'll say oh you have nothing to be sad about and like I guess I, I, I learned to kind of just keep it to myself 
and I know it's not the healthiest thing, <laughs> but that's just how I, I've come to deal with it. And I, I guess my question would be, how, how do we reach those people, the, the people that don't want to be a burden to people? And, and also, and because knowing myself, how difficult it is for me to share things, I think I, I put myself in, in other, like, let's say Albert is trying to help me out. I don't even know how he would get it out of me. So even thinking about myself, I, I think it's just, uh, maybe it's just in my nature, but I, I, I'm sure there's some people that go through the, through the same, same thing. Yeah, and I am going to go back to um, what I said earlier of the best way to help others is to first help yourself. And so the best way to walk with people in their journey of healing is to walk your own journey of healing. I am a big advocate and proponent of that. For me, when I decided to go into the field of psychology and therapy, I had never seen a therapist myself. It wasn't until I was in my graduate program that they actually required you to go see a therapist. Part of your graduation requirement was for you to go see a therapist. And the rationale behind that is you can't help other people until you help yourself. You cannot be um, a beacon of hope and help for others if you haven't walked your own journey and looked at your own wounds. And so they required a minimum of 50 sessions of therapy. I went for five years. Um, I strongly believe that because I've done my own work and I've worked through my wounds, I am able to empathize better. I am able, able to understand the individual sitting across from me on the couch better. And I'm able to just honor our time together because the reality is this therapy is scary. Therapy is scary. I don't know that I, I don't know that I would have gone to therapy if it wasn't a requirement to be completely honest with you because it is scary to go into a room and to sit with a complete stranger and talk about things that I haven't even told my significant other, right? Um, however, back to your question, how do you help someone else? You first help yourself because by walking through the through your own journey, then you can say, hey, I'm sorry, this sucks, but guess what? It gets better. It gets better. And I know firsthand experience that it gets better. Um, one thing that you also did mention of this idea of, I don't wanna ask for help because I don't wanna be a burden. I think logically we know that we're not a burden and logically, we know that we're not going to inconvenience people, or at least I hope we, we believe that. But there's a difference between knowing it and internalizing it, right? And a very wise person once told me, my therapist <laughs> once told me, Delilah, the longest journey you'll ever travel is from here to here. And she pointed to her head and then she pointed to her chest because we can know something in our head. But to internalize it, 
is a completely different story. So I can know that my needs are just as valid as the person next to me. But to internalize it and to truly believe that is a different story. Um, I also want to, you know, touch again on this on this idea of reaching out for help, right? So, um, German, I know you mentioned you wanted to reach out to help, but didn't necessarily know how. And so your way of doing it was texting someone saying, hey, what are you doing today, right? Yeah. But everyone was busy. I bet you anything. I bet you a hundred bucks. I bet you 200 bucks that if that text would have been to Eddie or Albert or any of the people that you did text, if it would have been worded like, hey, I'm having a really, really hard time. It's real. I'm feeling really scary things. I need help and I don't know what to do. And I'm reaching out they would have dropped everything they're doing and they would have gone to your house. I know for a fact that I would do that for a friend, right? If they text me and they say, Hey, what are you doing? I can respond by, Oh, I'm doing laundry. I'm busy. Or, Oh, I'm at the mall. Oh, I am at a wedding. But even if I was at a wedding, even if I was at, I don't know, something really, really important, right? Even if I was at, at a wedding, right? Really important wedding. And a dear friend of mine texted me and said, I'm really scared of my thoughts right now. And I don't know if I'm safe being alone. Can you help me? You better believe that I would drop everything that I, would, I was doing at that moment. And I would drive over to that person. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the times we ask for help, but we don't know how to ask for help. Yeah. And I think it's also... in a way not wanting it because at least from my experience because the embarrassment you know the, like if you're not busy and you end up coming and I end up telling you you're now seeing a side of me no one's ever seen besides my sister well, my sister doesn't count because she's my sister and so I remember just, you know, going, during that time, there was every weekend, for example, it was a Friday night, she was gonna go, I said, hey, what do you, you plan for tonight? And I was laying down on the couch, just watching TV, and I'm like, this is it. These are my plans. She's like, you need to reach out to somebody. You need to like, talk to somebody, you need to, and she would just rattle off names, text this person, text this person, what about this person, what about that person? And I think a lot of it was, yeah, I want the help, but I don't want, and I think a lot of what, like, Eddie said, I don't want whatever made-up thoughts I have that they're going to think of me, I don't want those, even though they're probably not true. I can guarantee you they're not true. Yeah, like, my friends are probably gonna come and be supportive and loving and sensitive and amazing. But I'm like, in my head, no, 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 they're gonna be like, dude, this guy's weak. Who is this guy? I don't wanna hang out. This guy's such a downer, blah, 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 blah. And so I think it's, at least from my experience, it's from what I, it was one of those, I'm gonna do the bare minimum 
And so if I'm asking what you're doing, I at least can say, why reach that? And as I get, as I mature and get older, you know, so that's not, that's not really asking for help. That's just, that I mean, I'm trying to get away with the, like, I did ask for help. I did. And, and I think that, is that part of it too? Is that part of the, the mental going through, being in that, the, the, the wanting help but not wanting help, the, the doing the least, the expecting the most? Absolutely. And I would rephrase that. I wouldn't say that you don't want help because you want the help. Every, we, want, we want the help, right? We want to stop feeling the way we're feeling However, the idea that if we reach out and we get rejected, that fear is stronger than whatever feelings of sadness you're feeling. Right. Right? Because who wants to be rejected? No one. No one wants to feel rejected. And so by reaching out, you are risking rejection because you can reach out to someone and they could potentially in turn reject you. And so sometimes that fear of being rejected is stronger than whatever feelings we're feeling at the moment. And so what do we do instead? We figure out how to cope with it. Mm. We we figure it out. We push it down. We get really busy. We drown ourselves at work. We drown ourselves in um, activities and little leagues. And I mean, you name it, we go shopping, we overeat, we overexercise, we, whatever it takes to make me stop feeling all of these feelings. I do. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I, so when I feel good, I, I think a lot. So I'm thinking of church, I'm thinking of work, I'm thinking of my family, I'm thinking of my girlfriend, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of this. And I'm thinking of all these things and I'm able to think of them and, and hold them and manage them mentally. When I'm feeling down, I can't hold the thought. I can't hold on to it. And one of the things that helps me is sports. And I, I love sports. I geek out on sports. I can I, I watch soccer, European soccer, Mexican soccer, US soccer, football, baseball, basketball. I watch teams I don't like. I, I watch everything. And, and the guys here at Tess, we're recording pods and I have like this sport on and this sport on and this sport. <laughs> and it's what helps me to grasp the thought because I'm watching the game and, and the, the thought is the game, the, 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 the vehicle for me to get to, if I have to prepare a study for Sunday, well, the game is gonna help me. Not because the game is gonna give me what I'm gonna teach, but the game is gonna get my mind to a place where I'm able to grasp the thought. And, I, and it's almost like a monkey jump, jumping from branch to branch and the main branch is always, has always been sport. Ever since I was little, it's always been sports. And I gravitate, and it's this, it's, it's almost like therapy because 
I feel better. I can concentrate. I can think. I can laugh. I can make jokes. But it's all on this. It's all on. It's all on this part. And so, when I was, even as I've gotten older, they're like, "Man, how do you like sports so much? What's it's a sports." It's just like, man, it's so it's 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 not just the game. It's it's everything. You take away sports, I don't know if I'm a functional person. The person you know, the person you like, it was almost built on sports. That without it, I don't know. That person doesn't exist. Wallis doesn't exist the way you know them. That German people. And so it's one of those things, I've never actually, this is actually the first time I ever said this, but, um, <laughs> but it's very interesting that I, I think of sports and I think, well, the sermon you liked on Sunday was impossible, impossible without Thursday night football. The message you liked on Wednesday was impossible without me waking up at seven in the morning to watch a Spanish soccer game. It was <laughs> impossible. I needed that to get to the place where I can. So it, when it comes to stuff like that, like the stuff you mentioned, the overeating and all of that, is therapy the way to get the person from being what's the word, reliant on that thing? Like to go from unhealthy therapy like sports to healthy therapy. Is that the avenue or how would somebody bridge the gap? How would somebody transition? I would have to say yes. Um, See, there's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with loving sports. You can love sports as much as you want. Um, And it's okay to, when you're having a bad day, go home and watch a game. There's nothing wrong with that. For me, it's cooking. I love cooking. It's a way for me to be creative, to experiment with spices and scents and, you know, different types of, food and Mexican food, Indian food. I love cooking. And at the end of a difficult day, I just want to go home and cook and bake. Um, It's my outlet. There's nothing wrong with that. Where it does get tricky and difficult and a little dangerous is when you are solely using sports to cope and we're not looking at the root of the problem because using sports or using cooking or using church as an excuse to not feel the feelings is not sustainable Mm. at all it's not sustainable i get this image of you guys have ever you guys have been to the pool the river the ocean whatever and i don't know if as a kid you did this or i i'm the only one who did this or watch kids do this but when you have these like floaties or when you have these um, pool balls or noodles and you try to keep them all down, you can for a moment, right? You can kind of juggle and keep them all down. But over time, you're going to get tired. Right. And those pool noodles and pool, you know, pool balls and floaties are going to eventually surface. Yeah. 
right? And so sometimes I feel, um, I see us doing that with our emotions. We push them down, we push them down. We don't want to see them. They're scary. We don't like them. Push them down, push them down. And for, for a while, that's manageable, right? You got two hands, dun, 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 go, 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 go. Push them down, push them down. But after 10 minutes, 30 minutes, three months, five years, it's not sustainable. And so to go back to your question, yes, therapy is, that is, that is where therapy comes in. That is, that is where therapy is really helpful Yeah. because you're able to not only learn what are some great, great ways to cope for you. It could be watching a game. It could be going for a walk. It could be having alone time and going and getting a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, and those are great ways and those are great tools to have in our toolbox when it comes to coping. However, we want to thrive and not just cope. And so in order for us to thrive, we have to figure out what is the root of what is causing all of these feelings to come up. It could be, like I mentioned before, environmental. And so you figure out what in your environment is causing you to feel this way. And then you're able to either change it or overcome it or learn how to live with it, cope with it, so on and so forth. It could be psychological. And that is when you learn to change your thoughts, to change your thinking, to think more positively, so on and so forth. But it could also be biological. It could also be genetic. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is when depression is caused by a biological generic genetic component, um, that is when we need the help of medication and antidepressants and, uh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And I know a lot of people are nervous about the word medication. Um, they think it's something that they have to live with for the rest of their lives. It's not. Some people are on medication for two months and then they get better. Some people are on medication for a year and then they get better and they don't need it anymore. And then there's a variety of doses. And, you know, I don't want to go into it a lot because I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, I do talk therapy. I don't prescribe medication. Yeah. But in my experience working with clients, medication has been helpful. It has been the thing that helps you clear your mind so that you can grasp onto those things and do the work and figure out where things are coming from and so on and so forth. And I, I think, again, you know, we fear yeah. medication. We think that there's something wrong with it. We think that we're going to be over medicated, but really I think it's important to educate ourselves as to what it is how it's helpful and is that an option for me it may be it may not be but educating ourselves about it is beneficial in the long run i have a question so um sometimes i get into funks to where it affects my wife where i don't want to help myself i feel lethargic for example don't do it 
don't, don't, I don't want to help. She's trying to help me and more than anything, it frustrates her because I don't want to help myself. So what would you tell someone like, like my wife, for example, that has to deal with someone, you know, that's going through this, um, you know, in, in my case, sometimes I may, maybe I don't make it easy on her because um, she's trying to help me and I'm not trying to help myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, overall, we can't do the work for someone. Um, the best thing that we can do to help someone is to listen, to validate the emotions, um, to help them feel like they're not alone that their thoughts are not crazy because sometimes I, I think we feel like oh my gosh am I crazy am I the only one who feels this way am I the is there something wrong with me and so just being able to listen listening is the most powerful tool in the book you would be surprised how much we crave to be seen to be heard and to be loved those are the three things we want. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. And we want to be loved. And so if you can do that for someone else, if you can just sit with someone in a room and see them for who they are, no judgment, know them, get to know them, ask them questions, truly be interested in who they are and just meet them where they're at. By, you love them by meeting them where they're at, by not expecting them to be something they're not by just saying who you are now is enough. And I, and I love you and I care for you as a friend, as a husband, as a wife. So, you know, for someone who's listening and who has a partner or a friend struggling with depression or unable to, you know, help themselves. Those are the three things that I would say, listen to them, get to know them, meet them yeah. where they're at, love them. In regards to not wanting to help yourself, I, I, would, I would like to rephrase that. I don't think it's that we don't want to help ourselves. I think that what if we ask for help and we don't get it? Or what if we reach out to a therapist and we see them for a while and I don't get better? that would be more painful than sitting in my thoughts right now, because at least now the hope is still there. But if I actually jump and if I actually go and if I actually ask for help and I don't get it, you would be faced with a lot of disappointment, a lot of fear, a lot of anger and a lot of sadness. And we do everything we can to avoid negative emotions. That is we don't like them. I don't like them. You know, no one likes negative emotions. And so in not wanting to get help, it's not that we don't want to get better. It's that we're, we're trying to avoid negative emotions. We're trying to avoid feeling disappointed and feeling like, you know, being confronted with the idea of what if this doesn't work? What if I ask for help and, and it doesn't work? Then what? Yeah. Okay. So I think that's 
we have, I think that's it on our end here, unless you have anything else that you want to add. Um, I think since this is a part the two part series and, and do you have any questions for us? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no questions. I just, I really cannot thank you enough for just being so honest and open and vulnerable and sharing your experiences because I truly believe that if we were to do this more often, we would be able to normalize feelings of depression and anxiety and people wouldn't feel so alone and people wouldn't feel so guilty for feeling sad, for not feeling better. People wouldn't feel like there's something wrong with them. And, uh, you know, just because you have depression or you have feelings of depression doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you are experiencing depression just like 15 other million Americans are. So just think, thank you for normalizing it. I think that is um, what I'm really passionate about talking about mental health just the same, you know, and just the same way as we talk about physical health. Um, mm -hmm encouraging people to go get help if they need it just the same way that you would go get help if you you know injured your ankle imagine if i'll use a football analogy for this imagine if prescott after that horrible ankle injury just decided to get back in the game take some painkillers and keep going right he would that would be a terrible idea no go to the doctor go to physical therapy and get back into the game you know, and get back to it. And so in the same way, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, stop trying to cope with it with, you know, whatever it is you're trying to cope with it and go get help. It's okay to go get help. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And next week, um, just to give you a preview and we'll send you some of our questions. But next week, I would love to get into um, faith in therapy because uh, as I've talked to uh, you know the, the way I've seen it in the Christian community there's two camps mm -hmm. there's a camp that's like yeah go get go see a therapist and there's the camp that says no 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 read your bible pray go to church mm. so I, I'd love to get into that aspect of it too um, because this camp says that camp's the devil because they're teaching pagan stuff and they're going to get you to do <laughs> ridiculous stuff. And then this group says, well, no, they're super outdated and they're empty. And so I perceive the truth is somewhere in the middle and they're both kind of right, but they're both wrong in a sense. And so, <laughs> well, this is going to be a good one. So I, that's one of the questions that I would love for us to get into next week. I would love to talk about that. Um, absolutely love it. As a, um, a therapist who is Christian, yeah. I have had this conversation many a times and I wish we could just jump in right now because like, that's, that's my jam. That's what, that's what I love to talk about. And I love to explain, you know, what it is and um, I'll, I'll give you a teaser. Therapy does not replace faith. Oh, okay. That's, good. Yeah, so that's what I say. Therapy does not replace faith. It's a tool. 
Okay. Okay. Um, we'll usually end our, our show with the final thought. Um, and we'd like to, if you'd like to share anything that you uh, want to share with us, if you want to end it for us, and it could be about this topic or anything that you'd like to share. The final thought. You go, you get the floor is yours. You can share whatever you want. <laughs> final thought. No pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think final thoughts are I'm so excited that we are in a generation where we have started talking about mental health. Um, I don't think that our parents or our grandparents had these opportunities. And so I'm excited about the future of mental health and therapy and, you know, even psychology in the church. And so if anyone out there is listening and is thinking, gosh, I think I may have depression. I think I may have symptoms of depression. I urge you to go get help. Um, it's, you know, really simple finding a therapist. You can do it through your insurance company. Um, you can also do it by going to psychologytoday.com. You can find a therapist using um, all kinds of filters such as gender, race, um, geographical location, specialty, you name it. So it's a free online database for therapists. And um, that would be a great first step towards getting help. Awesome. Um, question for you. Do you have a social media platform or, or anything that you're yeah, doing? Anything you, anything you want to plug? Yeah. I do. I have a website called journeytobecoming.org. And I actually have a, a blog post on there on how to find a therapist. So common questions you can ask. Um, just very practical tips on here's what you got to do. Here's what I recommend you do. Here are some of the questions you can ask in regards to fees, modality, treatment planning, you know, all those things. Um, I also have an Instagram page uh, called Journey to Becoming. And there I will post, you know, a couple times a week, um, different qu quotes on therapy. Um, I promote mental health. I have tips on how to overcome, you know, feelings of anxiety, sadness, um, so on and so forth. So those are two other resources you can look up, look out for. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm sure you're busy and you got a lot going on and thanks for, you know, joining yeah. us. Thank you so much. It no problem. Anytime. Again, I love doing this. So this is this is fun for me. Awesome. All right. Well, um, that wraps up the show for today. Again, uh, this is a two-part series, and you know we'll have Delilah on next week as well, and we'll dig you know a little more into it as well. Uh, thank you for joining us, guys. That's the show. Please rate, review, subscribe. Five stars. Five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram, brewthoughts.podcast. Until next time, free canal.